Hi, and welcome to Found. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and joining me, as always, is the mystery shopper to my inept customer service representative, Jordan Crook. That's right. I'm here to catch you, catch you in a in a mistake. Guest guest services representative. That's a reference, listeners, and you'll get it later on in this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's all gonna make sense. But you got to listen to it to figure it out. That's how we get you. So. <laughs> Locked in. <laughs> the suspense is killing me. Yes. This is TechCrunch's podcast all about founders and their stories. Every week we talk to a different founder and they tell us the stories behind the startups. As you well know, maybe you don't. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we apologize for what you just heard. And we assure you the show is much more relevant to you than you may imagine. Today, we're talking to Vivian Wang from Landed. And Landed is a platform for job seekers who are looking to get work in the service industry. So very busy place right now. Myself and Jordan have some personal experience with this, as do I imagine many Americans, Canadians, global citizens, people all around the world. But Vivian Vivian has built a solution for our modern times. So let's hear from her what it is that Landed does and how... They're perfectly positioned to kind of address a lot of the issues going on right now in the service industry. Hi, Vivian. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good, good. Okay, so our usual tradition, I guess, with the podcast is to have you give the elevator pitch or like a really high-level overview of what your company does. So tell us about Landed. Absolutely. So we're building a livelihood economy platform for blue-collar workers built on three pillars. The first is finding your job, which is the foundation of any livelihood. Second is building your financial future and financial wellness for the blue collar workers. And lastly, upskilling. So up until now, we've been very focused on the first pillar, which is helping them land jobs at some of the top brands in this space, like Panera, Cava, Jose Andres' Think Food Group, Taco Bell. And part of the next leg is now that we've gotten tens of thousands of blue collar workers jobs, through a pretty difficult time in the past two years, mm-hmm. we are now gearing up to attack the second pillar, which is the financial wellness. Awesome. Great. I, I like how you started it. It was immediately like like applicant focus, which I assume is by design. But like the big story here in this specific industry of late has been kind of like the inability for employers to find people to do these jobs, right? It seems like it would be easy to be like, all right, we're helping all these people staff who can't staff, but you went the other way around and that's probably intentional, but do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the pandemic has really opened up a lot of interesting insights about the blue collar workspace, right? Mm. Because I think it brought to the forefront that this entire population is pretty underserved. Like when the pandemic hit, you know, they were losing their jobs in droves. And I remember because we actually launched Landed in March of 2020. I think it was March 14th. What a time to launch it. Yeah. And then literally three days later, I was in San Francisco, the entire world shut down. Mm -hmm. And overnight, we had just put up our app in the app store. We had not done any marketing. Overnight, we had thousands and thousands of users just organically find us and start reaching out because they're looking for their job for a new job. 
And so I think the pandemic really put in focus that we need to take a hard look at the people who are supporting our economy, because ultimately, like 80% of our GDP is supported by blue collar workers. Like we want to be able to get an Amazon package to get our toothpaste if we didn't have them supporting the, you know, logistics and DoorDash and, you know, making all the food that we're ordering in every day. And so that's kind of why, you know, that's always been the focus. And it kind of harkens back to my personal upbringing and a lot Mm. of like me seeing my parents' journey. And that's the underlying mission of what we're focused on at Landon. Great. So can we break down like why, because maybe this is like super obvious, right? But I feel like I've only ever heard the political rationale behind it, right? Which is like the pandemic hit and people didn't want to be in unsafe jobs, but also unemployment went up and then also government stipends came in like what from like the business perspective, not like morning Joe and Mika explaining to me what's going on, right? Like why you can't get a certain table at a restaurant, like from a business perspective, like what happened there exactly? So there are all these things that were swirling around with the pandemic, but even now with like government stipends closing out two years later, I think ultimately we have to think about the work experience that they're in the work environment that they're operating in. So restaurants and hospitality, which is the area that we play in, Mm -hmm. they have really well thought out like guest experiences. Yeah. You know, when you come in top priority and I think what they're starting to do, the good ones, the ones that are successful and able to staff and, you know, some of our best clients, they have developed 360 degree brands that delight not only the customer, but also employees. Mm. So paradoxically for being people, businesses, restaurants often don't realize employees full development potential. And that's why you see some people, you know, there's 130% turnover in the space and you see some people leaving the industry. And it's because their capabilities can't really shine when all they're doing is rote responsibilities that eat up time. And in the future, automation and AI will help restaurants tackle these commodity tasks with ease and I think propel employees towards more fulfilling high value roles that spur business growth. So, you know, the smart folks in this industry have realized that. And I think more of the industry has had the pandemic kind of send a shock through their system where they're realizing now they have to do this. Huh. So what what are those things like? What's an example of them? Because you mentioned a couple of things there. Like one is this, especially with like these big brands that have lots of locations and like to control and end the experience, you have an SOP, right? And it's like, okay, within this SOP, like every customer should consistently receive this uh, experience. And one that was like always hilarious for me, not hilarious, but just weird was the Uniqlo one where you go in and they mm-hmm. say, following customer, please. They changed, they, one day they changed to following customer as the standard wording. And it blew my mind because everywhere I went. For the, when you're in line, yeah, you mean? When you're in line. Okay. And everywhere, everyone was like following guest or it was either following guest or following customer. But the yeah, following yeah. was the part that to me, I was like, following? What the, what the hell are they talking about? Do they mean next? <laughs> and it was so infuriating <laughs> to me for so long. And I was like, is that even correct? Is that, is the grammar correct? I'm so mad about this. And everyone did it universally, but that is just a way to illustrate that like, <laughs> it seems like there are bounds, right? So like, what is the mm-hmm. opportunity for personal growth for people who are in these individual roles when it's like, 
look, we want you to have a fulfilling experience as an employee, but we also need you to hit all of these markers, essentially, right? So, like, what do people do or what are they looking for to, like, demonstrate that growth or experience that growth person? Yeah, like that problem-solving and yeah. creative piece feels, like, bound in, I think, is where Daryl's going exactly. with that. Got it, around. yeah. yeah. <laughs> we actually recently did a survey with thousands and thousands of workers in the restaurant and hospitality space to really understand, like, what are they actually looking for in their job? And it came down to some of the, you know, the top three, one was expected, which is competitive pay. You need to make mm-hmm. sure you're paying your workers fairly. And that's, you know, part of what, when we work with these large enterprises, we have client strategists who work with them that sit down and go through like benchmarking with them. Because if their pay rates are not kind of up to par in their industry or in their geo, that's like step one. And then we can do all the fancy stuff after that. That's the basics that has to be satisfied. Absolutely. Right. Right. Exactly. And then I think what was really interesting was, yeah, like to your point, Jordan, these workers, they want to be in an inclusive environment. And when we think about like the entry level workers in the space, they're probably like Gen Z and they're probably like later stage millennials. Mm. And they are looking for like an inclusive environment. So some of the things that we've seen work well is, yes, like you have your set of things that you need to do when you first start. But the restaurant hospitality industry has kind of, it's kind of a non-traditional like career growth path. If you go and you start demonstrating that you can help with budgeting, that you have some creative ideas for how to improve retention Mm -hmm. of your employees, or if you um, just have like natural leadership abilities, then you're able to very quickly rise up to become a shift lead, to become an assistant manager. And that's kind of the journey that we want to follow them through is they come in as an entry-level worker, but then we want to help them very quickly rise up through the ranks by giving them like targeted education that really focuses on you know what they need to be learning. Not like University of Phoenix or DeVry or any of these like for-profit mm-hmm. universities that are yeah. giving you like a certificate in psychology. Like what does that even mean? Nothing. Right. I studied public <laughs> policy with study. I studied public policy in college, so I don't know what that means either. In, well, to, hey, in today's you're talking world, to. I was a poetry major. Uh, Jordan was a philosophy major, so ours are ours have nothing. We just <laughs> we yeah we, we know what you're talking. We about. just yeah. <laughs> wandered around in college, essentially just thinking, thinking hard. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not as applicable to like the restaurant, like high, fast paced like environment. Yes. So I mean, there are a lot of philosophy issues to be solved in restaurants. I was contemplating them when I was working in restaurants, putting myself. Through I, that. We both worked in restaurants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. my first job was being did. a barista at like Caribou oh. Coffee, mostly because I wanted this free chocolate chocolate like mocha shakes That's they weren't even reason. coffee i think it's just like a chocolate shake but <laughs> um, the only yeah. job i ever got fired from was my restaurant my qsr job and i got fired because i got mystery shopped mm. during a lunch rush and i hated working the cash register but i happened to be on register that day and i like didn't I don't do know, I think i job. gave him like 13 cents wrong change or like forgot to give him his cup or something and it was like I guess with a mystery shopper, there's no warnings. And it's like one of those (laughs) things that has haunted me because like Mm. I made every team I ever tried out for. I feel like I'm like a pretty competitive person. Like I do well at things, but it plays into what you're talking about, Vivian, which is like if you're doing rote things, right? Like and I'm not going to say like I'm the brightest mind, but I feel like even like some of the brightest people like don't get to 
really apply right. themselves because it is so road, right? right? Like, how can you be a great dishwasher, right? Like, how could you be a great, you know I what I mean? Like, you're the best, right? And you just like <laughs> got was, into the zone. Like, a 10 it's, out of 10 dishwasher. it's a wrist technique. It's really all. In it's the mostly wrist. developing a resistance to very, very hot water. <laughs> <laughs> but like that that's a great example though i actually think of what vivian was talking about earlier which is like that task like the calculation and dispensation of change could easily be done through automation and through oh, like yeah. ai right mm-hmm, and leaving mm-hmm. you to do what you're good at which is like be personable and interact with people i mean this is a hypothetical jordan not actual you jordan. most of the time <laughs> sometimes not you daryl but i vivian would call me perfectly pleasant <laughs> yes. absolutely so that part of the company was that always the goal was to to like design that part of it or did you did you add that in later like were you like oh we're going to serve this customer group of employees and then we'll start building out this AI layer and the business practices or were they always kind of hand in hand They were hand in hand so my parents actually when they first immigrated to the US they started their job as being a dishwasher and a waitress at a local mm. Chinese restaurant My dad also was not a particularly good dishwasher he didn't take instructions <laughs> super well <laughs> but you know two decades later they're both software engineers and they have two kids my sister's currently at Princeton and I went through there as well so you know they're living this like you know what some could consider like the American dream yeah, but yeah. you know when I first I, I remember like in the early days, there are just there's so much stuff that you just don't know if you like are coming to a new environment you don't know like how the financial system works you don't know how to get a bank account i mean 25% right. of blue collar workers are either unbanked completely or underbanked mm-hmm. so you know those little like corner sketchy check cashing shops yep. that you see everywhere like they're using those institute that's why they're everywhere Right. So they're using those. They're taking like a 15, 20% cut of their paycheck. And 85% of these workers are already living like paycheck to paycheck. So right. that's like very substantial for them. So both my parents kind of went through that experience. And, you know, I we saw the kind of the rise of gig economy. And I thought a lot about that because I was in school studying economic policy mm-hmm. when all this <laughs> stuff was going on. You know, gig economy 1.0, like these DoorDashes, Ubers, Lyfts, largely characterize those, they're really short-sighted because ultimately what they are is a labor arbitrage in some ways where the people who are supporting these big economies, they actually want to have a career. They want to move up in life. They don't want to stay stuck there forever. I think it's just like contrary to the popular sort of the narrative from the gig economy side is that they don't want that. What they want is freedom and sort of like a lackadaisical ability to just sort of like turn on the job, turn off the job. And they really obfuscate, I would say, I guess, uh, intentionally or otherwise, like a lot of what you're talking about, which is like the people really do have, they want to establish themselves and be, like, who doesn't, right? Like it's absurd yeah. when you think mm-hmm. about it from a common sense perspective, but yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Well, no, I also think there's like mm-hmm. a generation of boomers, right? Who are like, I worked at the factory or whatever for 52 years and made good money and took care of a family. Like some people just need to do those types of jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and there's that whole thing that like, that that doesn't exist anymore. Not at that pay scale and not with the cost of living now. Right. So like that doesn't make any sense. And all people want to achieve more. Right. Like, I don't think there are many people who are like, this is good. You yeah, know, for yeah, anything. This is fine. <laughs> right. You know, exactly. If you actually like double click into that, you're like, well, this doesn't actually make any sense. And ultimately, they're kind of stuck in that vicious cycle because there's no clear path out. Yeah. And so 
the goal of Landit is, you know, there are 2.7 billion blue collar workers worldwide. There are 90 million of them in the U.S. It's for us to be their one stop shop where we'll help you get your job. Actually, a fun fact is that most hourly workers hold 2.1 jobs simultaneously hmm. to sustain themselves. Because if you're a full time employee at Applebee's, that just means you get like 15, 20 hours a week guaranteed. Right, right. So to sustain yourself, you need like 40, 60 a week. So we help them get their first one, two, three, however many jobs. And then at that point, we already know that they have a job. We know generally how much they're making because we're partnering with these large brands. Mm -hmm. Then we can give them access to fair and transparent financial products like earned wage access. There's some really cool things that you can do with crypto to help enable like streaming payments by the day, by the hour, by the minute, by the second. Hmm. So we're looking, that's something that's a big part of what we're building. The number one, which is actually surprising to me from the survey, the number one thing that blue collar workers are looking for in how they define financial security is actually building credit. Right. So how can we help them build credit? Well, there are ways that you can do it, obviously, with your with a credit card, but there are also ways that you can do that with debit card. Yeah. So that's like another part is helping them build credit and helping them actually save money and contribute to their financial futures. We can help them get like 8% yield on wow. their savings, which is huge. Yeah, yeah. So can you help me get that? Yeah, I know. Come on. Sign share, yeah. share the How are you getting 8% from? yield on savings? <laughs> Email me after. We'll get you set up. <laughs> it's a cheat code or uh, something. But that uh, that's so great. The thing that I think was the most, to me personally, what was most interesting about that was like, you just explained to me maybe the first useful thing I've ever heard described I know, crypto. the crypto thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I heard someone say that too. And I was like, that actually makes sense. Yeah. Like you get paid at the end of the day or you get paid even like while you're clocked in, like you're the bank yeah. account just streams right. up, right? Like, because that that's why all those payday places you were talking about work so well is because it's like a mismatch between access to funds and availability, right? It's like, oh, I yeah, don't have uh, this you, until you later, to, but I need money now, so I'll go to this place, and they'll screw me over because yeah. they're awful. And right, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's super predatory, and it's yeah. like an actually democratizing use of crypto, yes. right? Like everyone's always talking about crypto being like this. Oh, it's going to change the world, and like. Equal access to everything for everyone. And it's like, well, yeah, you kind of need to build like bridging products, right? Right. I kind of view bridging products that really help level the playing field because there are only 100 million people ish in the world that have a crypto wallet. I mean, that's absurdly small. Yes. But there are so many things that, you know, aside from creating like cool sneakers, there are so many other (laughs) use cases of crypto that are actually really beneficial. But the average person, like people don't really understand. You essentially need to works. be like, no, I, we yeah, don't. you have to be it like works. half an engineer <laughs> and like half a financial planner. And yeah, like you have to hit all of these like credential levels to even play in it. Right. And you have to have yeah. a lot of money because like it's not, not like cheap. Putting $10 into Ethereum doesn't like do anything right, right. now. You know what I mean? So, so we're thinking about, um, you know, not leveraging some of those like more, I would say like high risk types of coins, but rather leveraging things like stable coins. Yeah, where there's no risk. That's a really important part of what we're building is that a it has to always be free Mm -hmm. for the worker. So there are a whole bunch of other ways that we can monetize. But at the end of the day, for the blue collar worker, we don't want them to ever need to pay to use Landon. Yeah. And then two, these people are entrusting us with their livelihoods. So it's really important to us that 
we're not out there trying to get them to like invest in Shiba coin. We're there right, right. using crypto backend rails to give them access to things they didn't have access to. Like, why does it make sense that if you are a cashier at Panera, that you get paid every two weeks, you're basically giving a loan out to Panera and Panera is paying you back that loan for your hours worked two weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, it's exactly. just super yeah. antiquated. Ridiculous. I mean, I feel like that should probably be the case with all jobs, but <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, why not? Like, this is just, we're attacking that, but you know, who knows in the future? Yeah, no, that, I mean, I love that part of it. So I was just curious about like how you look at the ecosystem that you play in, right? Like not necessarily restaurants, but like this whole idea of like helping people get jobs, upskilling, like serving blue collar workers, like guild education keeps kind of pinging around in my mind. Obviously they're focused on the upskilling piece first and foremost, but like, mm. yeah, how do you look at that ecosystem that's around you and kind of like determine what your priorities are and like what makes you unique and just like assessing yeah. that situation. Sure. I'll kind of put my more employer hat on because ultimately when we look at other players, there are existing platforms like Craigslist, mm -hmm. Indeed, ZipRecruiter, and a lot of employers and candidates use that, you know, across the board. But if we're putting on like the employer hat, right? Ultimately, you need to create a very seamless experience for the employer, the holder of the keys to these jobs right. in order to best facilitate an awesome experience for the candidate. So Craigslist, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, all these types of platforms, they're not vetting candidates. So hiring managers have to do all the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. So resumes are basically piling up on their desk. In that same survey, we heard that 80% of candidates didn't hear back about a job that they applied to. They were like ghosted by the employer, which is crazy because we're in a 9 million person staffing deficit yeah. in the industry. So there's no excuse for never hearing back from somebody, right? Yeah. These general managers, they're required to do all the review, but they're super stretched thin. I mean, they're like managing inventory, shipments, customer experience. Recruiting is like one-tenth of their job. What we provide to the employer is this end-to-end -end recruiting platform that helps them hire top-notch candidates quickly. Mm -hmm. And basically, we automate the sourcing, the vetting. We use our conversational AI to do all the personalized engagements with candidates. And then we set up interviews for general managers to ultimately make hiring decisions. Hmm. Prior to us, employers were doing all that manually or they're cobbling it together using a bunch of disconnected tools. Mm -hmm. But we just kind of take the end to end. And when we take the end to end, what we're able to deliver is a more personalized and also faster responsive experience for the candidates on our platform. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Because like, we've had direct experience of this recently. Like we have, we're going through some recruiting and mm -hmm. What we keep hearing from our recruiting department is that they are overwhelmed, right? Like they just can't deal with the volume of inbound and the volume of like what we require too on our side, right? So it's they're kind of in a double bind, which I think leads to that kind yeah. of like lack of responsiveness probably on your side where they're just, it's like, yes, we need to hire people, but also there's too many, like it's too much on both sides and they just throw their hands up and they're like, I'm done with this, right? But so when you're talking about, you know, having these layers that are automated, do the candidates then receive feedback even if they're like filtered out for sort of an automated reason? So perhaps they never interact with a person, but they still get some kind of useful feedback or direction about what maybe went wrong? Absolutely. It's super important. And actually, we take that one step further 
And after every interview, we also kind of like rate our employers for how good they Mm. are with our candidates. So after every interview, we also ask them, how did that go? Did you enjoy your conversation? And we're able to surface some, you know, interesting themes on like how we can coach general managers for our different clients. So upfront, yes, we're having that conversation. And it might be, you know, something as simple as, oh, here's my expectation of pay rate. And we are that our clients not able to help reach that. Or it could be, here's another role that we think could be a better fit for you. So there's like an intelligent match that happens to kind of like a dating app. Mm. Both sides need to opt in. So we kind of try to match as well as we can. And we actually have a 60% acceptance rate on both sides. So when we surface a match to an employer and to a candidate, 60% of them accept that match on both sides. That's great. I mean, I don't know anything about the industry, but I assume that's quite high (laughs) relative to the average. It is high. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if every single match you saw on Hinge, like you accepted six out of ten of them. I mean, yeah, that I mean that sounds crazy. That kind of <laughs> I mean, yeah. Daryl's yeah. been engaged and is with his partner for a lot. He's like been on Hinge never. <laughs> but for my brief, not Hinge because it didn't exist. Uh, but, yeah, uh, like Tinder existed when I was wow. in the dating world. Yeah. Maybe yes, your yes. calling card was just you squatting outside the fire pit, uh, with two pieces of meat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, two pieces of me in the cowboy hat. Like, oh, you know this? <laughs> Off tropic, but like, I do want to, I want to go back to kind of your background a bit, Vivian, because you mentioned, you know, a lot of it came from your experience growing up and watching your parents, but like, you also had some time out in the world, you know, doing other jobs. I mean, did any of that influence it or what, like, what went into your decision to actually decide, like, I'm going to go down the founder path and start my own company? Yeah, absolutely. So right before I started landed, so we did Y Combinator, which is a really awesome experience. And right before that, I was actually at Gap Inc. advising the C-suite on various strategic initiatives. So I actually got to see like the other side of it, the employer side of it when I was at Gap Mm. Inc. Because we had turnover in our stores that was detrimental to like how long a customer has to wait in line brand image because ultimately your retail associates at Gap, Old Navy, Banana Republic, Athleta, they are the face and the representative for the brand. So when you ask someone, Mm -hmm. where can I find this piece of clothing and they don't know the answer, well, that's kind of a negative experience. And maybe they don't know because we have a lot of turnover in the stores. So that was a huge thing that we focused on was workforce development and management And we did a big overhaul of the system and put in place a lot of really cool technologies. And so a lot of that kind of fed into the MVP of what Landed Mm. was. And then we did YC and raised the money and kind of the rest was history. But I do think that some of the things I thought about early days of starting down the founder path is every single business has to have like a prioritization framework, but you also need to have a prioritization framework for yourself, like your personal prioritization framework. So historically, there's been this ethos that a truly hardcore founder is somebody who can eat 99 cent ramen for like five years in a row and just like grind away in a garage, right? Like there's this like... We've had some guests on recently who nearly matched that description, I would say. But yeah. Yeah. And there's this perception out there. But I think it's, of course, it's really imperative to have strong belief in the mission of your business and not be in it for the money because you can make more money elsewhere, probably like early days. Right. And you need to like have a strong belief that the existence of your company is going to make the world markedly different 10 years from now. And you have to Mm -hmm. have like a very clear 
image of what that looks like. But for many like women, for example, like as a female founder, you might have you might have kids, you might have families, and you might actually want to like be around for them, not just like in the basement Mm -hmm. all the time. So I think founders need to step back and determine what your actual risk taking appetite is. Because risks should always be calculated and they need to be realistic and every single person is different. So you need to like move with urgency and focus once you've decided what that focus is. But I think a lot of people either kind of stay away from being a founder because they have this kind of like ethos of there's only like one type of founder profile, or they think that you just have to be this like crazy, like risk taker in reality. Mm -hmm. It's all about like calculated risk and understanding like what that focus is and making sure that's like your true focus, not just what you think others think your focus should be. Uh, Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that me and Jordan talk about this a lot with founders, but like the risk part to us, I would say, seems the most daunting. And it's because it seems absolute. And it sounds like you're saying, like, it isn't. You just have to decide what your threshold is and figure out what you can put in place to kind of defer your risk, right? Or like minimize your risk. So for me, it's just like, oh, like it's either you go out and be a founder and it's like put everything on the line, your life could be ruined, that's it. Or, you go to a job day after day and just well, kind of like okay do with the Relax. man. <laughs> I'm the man. And also, <laughs> to be fair, we don't have any good ideas. So that's a big that's part also of the risk true. We don't issue. have any good ideas yeah. or <laughs> passions. <laughs> but like, so you you looked at it and you were like, look, I really want to see this happen in the world. And I think that the risk for me is accessible to go and do it myself or like what was your decision process personally? I I don't think risk is like a single point in time. I think it's an ongoing thing. So that's Mm. why like when you essentially every single company in the early days is a research project. Yeah, right. You might get some funding or you might like fund it yourself and you go and do some research. But in order to have the research mean something, you have to have very clear metrics on what is success and what is not success. And most people lie to themselves about Mm -hmm. that. For us, our single most important metric was revenue. Because if you're increasing revenue, that means a whole lot of other stuff in your business is probably going pretty well. Right. And everything you do has to build up to that metric. So something that was surprising to me actually in the early days was I thought a lot about brand awareness and delivering the best customer experience and all these like things that of course make sense. You should think about that. But when you step back, like making your website stunningly beautiful and perfect doesn't really matter if no one even knows like who you are. Right. Like no one's even going on your website. Yeah. So actually in the early days, our first website was something our very talented intern Audrey put together one day using like various free design tools. Nice. So and that was our website for 12 months. <laughs> and during the 12 months, we actually 18 exited revenue. We were focused very much so on building out our product. Actually, like half the information on our website was probably outdated. And yeah, then but people didn't we, care because they wanted the actual thing you were selling, right? And they would right, get to exactly. Yeah. yeah. So then when we started like doing demos with some of these like big very you know, enterprises. We kind of looked back at our website clip art and we were like, well, we, we actually now need to design a real website. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Just because so, this is going to get passed around up the chain and we don't want anybody to be like, hey, hold on a second. Have you looked at their website? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, I was going to ask about your customer. Your customer list is amazing. Like if I'm, I'm looking at the website right now and seeing the scroll and it's just like such a terrific list, especially for a company that's only been in operation since... 
2020, right? But like, how did that happen? Was it a hard driving sales cycle or did you get a little inbound or when did it really pick up for you in terms of customers coming to you on the employer side? Yeah. So going back to like that March, 2020, we launched the product and we we're like, okay, initially we thought we were going to go after retail because that was my background. Mm. And then all of retail shut down for the foreseeable future. Right. Yeah. And then we just started looking around us and lines were super long at grocery stores. Everyone was ordering McDonald's to their homes and like stress eating, pandemic eating oh, yes. with wine on the side. <laughs> um, and so we decided to start talking to those guys. So we realized they were super understaffed they actually had a huge boom in business versus before. Mm. So we actually, our first customer was Grocery Outlet, which is this kind of like discount grocery chain around mostly the West Coast. And it was kind of hard because the industry is really like in-person driven, but everything was like virtual. So basically I just like picked up the phones and started like calling people like between lunch and dinner times. Like, Hey, like, do you need help hiring? Notice that I was at your grocery store and the line was like 45 minutes. Mm. (laughs) And uh, how, like, what what are your plans there? And you know, we started talking to clients that way. And then people started just signing up early days. They were were just just, like, I desperately do need help. Yes. Like we'll try anything. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, The pricing was interesting, too, because we're like, how should we price this product? Mm. And really, in the early days, we were like, let's just figure out what value these owner operators are putting on the product. Yeah. So we did kind of like makeshift user interviews, like through the sales cycle. And we just were iterating on that early days. Then we started uh, word of mouth started happening. Mm. So actually, up until like two months ago, we'd spent zero dollars on demand gen for employers. Wow. Because they all know each other. And we were basically like, hey, tell all your friends. And then their friends would just call us up. And And to your earlier point, they're not even really competitive. Because like like you said, a lot of these workers need to get to that 2.1 jobs anyway, right? So Mm -hmm. they share resources. Yeah, Yeah, they share a whole bunch of resources. They tell each other what vendors to use for everything. Mm -hmm. We actually joined in this restaurant resource group that we found on LinkedIn and we started going to it and it had some pretty big companies like Aramark and Pepsi as part of this. And that's essentially how like the sales process worked for even these large organizations. They just have like these localized reps that like go out and develop relationships with customers. So we just kind of tacked onto that and started following them around to meet these customers and got our first customers that way. And our first enterprise customer was Kava. Mm-hmm. So Kava is kind of this like Chipotle meets Mediterranean, amazing food. And Nice little plug for Kava. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We walked them through what we were doing and got a lot of insights and input from their leadership team. And we're like, great, like now we know what our roadmap should be. Just kind of just nice. continued from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's rare to be able to achieve some like a lot of those things that are organic, like having organic referrals and word of mouth and having organic feedback loop into the product. And it sounds like you were also able to be very flexible and organic with the pricing, which is usually Jordan's thing to talk about. But you just brought it up naturally. But yeah, like a lot of things came together really well. I'm curious then one thing I was thinking about is like, is that is it a challenge that as the market fluctuates, like is it a challenge as the power shifts from sort of demand side to supply side or vice versa for you? Or 
failing that, like, what is your biggest challenge, I guess, or what has your biggest challenge been so far? I think the most important part of our marketplace, every single marketplace has a side that drives the marketplace. And for us, it's the supply side. So the actual workers, yeah, because the industry sees about 130% average turnover. So that's why it was so easy for us to get customer. Well, it was hard to get the first customer because they didn't know who we were. And then after that, all the word of mouth made a ton of sense because ultimately we had a ton of really great workers on our platform Mm -hmm. who were looking for jobs. And if you have great distribution for all marketplaces, you just have to have great distribution on one side, then the other side will come. Mm -hmm. And so we focused a lot of our efforts on developing like a really easy experience for the worker. So for them, if you put yourself in like their shoes, like, and it sounds like, you know, we've all been in the shoes, mm-hmm. you're like kind of passing your resume off to like a bunch of different places. Yeah, you're kind of hoping to hear back from one. person to places and dropping off paper, but the internet didn't exist when I was doing this. No, it did, it, I think. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> even today, like I yeah. grew up in Ohio. So yeah, you like drop off paper resumes and maybe someone will call you back. And nowadays, like no one picks up their phone. So right. it's kind of a weird, weird thing. <laughs> but a lot of the workers, we facilitated like, okay, you can come on to Landed and then it's kind of like a common app. We'll go and actually match you to the role that's the best fit for you and help you like focus your time. And then in the future, if we think that, you know, you have enough experience, we're actually going to surface you like the next Hmm. best job that Mm -hmm. you should consider to like actually start moving up in your career. And with the Common App, especially during the pandemic, a big challenge was how do you make people feel comfortable on both sides? Right. So we facilitated, you know, video interviews, phone interviews. And we also had candidates create these fun like video clips of themselves. So these 10 second video clips where they answer questions like introduce yourself, how would you handle a stressful situation? What are your greatest strengths? And with these video clips, we're able to analyze them and basically attribute and and kind of score across like 50 plus data points. But Mm. then also, if you're the employer, you can look at it and be like, okay, great. I kind of have a sense of Daryl's personality. I feel comfortable having him come in for like an in-person interview in a time where you want to minimize as much in-person contact as possible. The goal was to make sure both sides felt comfortable and we used kind of video to do that. And now it's stuck. Now people are back in person, but video and phone interviews, which are basically unheard of pre-pandemic in the restaurant hospitality industries are now completely normal. Like we, all of our, almost all of our clients offer video and phone interviews. Wow. That's a huge seismic shift, especially because it's an industry where I imagine the received wisdom would be like, no, you need to have the in-person thing. It's an in-person business. It's an in-person industry. Like without that, you have nothing. But it sounds like people were just kind of assuming that. And then once they tried something different, they realized, oh, no, this actually works just fine. Translates just fine. And also like the time and energy and cost of going into an interview for the person looking for work yeah. is like way oh, too yeah. high, right? Like, I mean, we hire people at TechCrunch via video interview. So like, you know, yeah. I'm just, it's Yeah, fine. and employers are doing some interesting things like helping give you like a taxi stipend or a bus stipend to help come into interviews during that time where a lot of folks are furloughed and cash was tight. So working with our clients, we were able to develop, you know, these cool candidate-friendly practices that now have stuck, like sign-on bonuses yeah. are in the industry now, retention wow. bonuses, referral bonuses. So in many ways, like the pandemic helped kind of kick this industry into high gear. Yes. And yeah, start yeah, catching yeah. up to other industries. Yeah. 
Well, it revealed a lot of the, the vulnerabilities that people were exposed to, and it made people care more broadly, I think, which is like one of the good outcomes, right? Because everyone saw all of a sudden all the links in the chain for the things mm-hmm. that like they just took for granted previously. And it was finally something you couldn't ignore or like just say, oh, like whatever, I don't, I can take that for granted, right? Because it's like, no, these people were helping you like the entire time, right? And continue to. So I think that in general, it's been positive in that regard where people are like now generally aware like oh these conditions should improve and we all kind of agree on i mean all being a general term mm-hmm. but like all of us here <laughs> at least agree <laughs> all three people on this podcast <laughs> i have a majority yeah yeah yeah, yeah and so i think about putting in place like strong structures because structures have longevity yeah so yeah. if you put in place those strong structures to protect these workers especially in marginalized communities Things like better job discovery, you know, what we focused on building that financial safety net for them, mm-hmm. giving them educational resource, like a structure to access educational resources, making everything super accessible and free for them to access is how you're going to ensure that worker base has something to go back to again and again. Yeah, it becomes a standard and then it's ensconced and it's weird to think about doing it otherwise. So yeah. hopefully that's where you're at. And like, well, I mean, you're already on your way, but hopefully you're even more there in like a decade's time. Even so more there. We'll check back in. Degrees of there. <laughs> Degrees of there. Yeah. <laughs> Degrees uh, of, yeah, to the 2.7 billion workers. Yes. There you go. There you go. So thanks so much, Vivian. I, I think we're about out of time, but it's been great talking to you. And yeah, we wish you best of luck with Landon. Thanks. Great to chat with you, Daryl and Jordan. This is awesome. All right, Jordan. That was our conversation with Vivian, all about Landed. What do you think? I think that this is a much needed product, right? Considering Mm -hmm. what the world has been through in the last two years. So kudos for the timing, I think, on that. Yes, great, amazing timing. It's one of those things where we talk a lot about it with different founders, but like timing is like such a big thing. But it's hard to be more illustrative of that than in this particular example. I think, right? Yeah, I was reading something by like Eric Friedman. Where is he at? Is he USV? He's a big VC. It's a good open question (laughs) for the internet. I think he's. (laughs) I think he's Union Square Ventures. I could be wrong. He's one of those New York VCs, and he was talking about how he looks at team time technology. Those are like his three core tenets of investing. And timing is one of those things that you can't like figure out, right? Like you can't manipulate or game. You can game the team and like get the best people and like the most charismatic people. And like you can build really cool technology, but you can't game the timing of the universe. Right. And that's the one part. Like how how things work together and like the cause and effect involved there. So that was cool kind of talking about how she started out and got through the pandemic and how they kind of shifted and adjusted based on that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's cool talking about too. It was so interesting going into it. I think I mentioned on the podcast, but basically it seemed like, Oh, like this is like, it's the perfect time. Like you must've seen the great resignation and been like, Oh yeah. Like people, need to fill these positions there's a desperate need on the employer side but it was actually exactly the opposite how it started which was even better for their timing right because it meant when the coin flipped they had that side of their marketplace really well built out they had the job seeker part built out first because when they started that was who needed this it was when everybody was laid off 
beginning of pandemic, especially frontline service workers, right? Like restaurants were closed everywhere. So they come in with this amazing stroke of luck of having like that crucial supply side of their two double-sided marketplace filled out entirely, right? And then it's like Mm -hmm. within the span of months, it sort of totally flips to the other side where the job seeker or the employer's side are the ones that are like, we need this desperately. And guess what? You not only have the platform, but you also have all the supply, right? So yeah. Yeah, really good. I think it's cool too that it's not just like as simple as matching people up, but like really getting in the weeds with the employers on like, this is what it takes, right? Like this is what it takes compensation wise, but this is also what it takes to take a group of people that I think have been overlooked generally, right? As like, oh, we're going to get some high schoolers in and so, you know, whatever. And they're going to sling burgers for the summer or whatever. And be like, no, you could actually treat this as like a career trajectory. And you'd actually have if they continue climbing up the ladder and get into like even a corporate position, you'd have people who understand the business fully, right? right? Like my dad works for PepsiCo and they do this program every couple of years where like all the executives go and do a different piece of the job. And like they either work in a factory for a week or like drive a truck for a week or whatever. And he's always like, it's the best thing because it like totally changes my creative element. Right. Of like how I approach what's going on with the business. So I think that's really cool. I also really liked our talk about like the gig economy in general. Yeah. And how like it's always been framed as this like everybody loves it. You have so much freedom, blah, blah, blah. When in reality, it's like it's kind of like a trap almost, you know? Yeah. I mean, labor advocates like myself, I'm not going to paint myself with that brush because I haven't done enough, frankly. Well, I'm from. (laughs) But Uh, ding, ding, ding. I mean, I think the people on that side, right, the people who are organizing, and we've covered, I think, both sides in TechCrunch, but that was never, there was never any doubt about what was going on, which is that the company was painting it in this gloss to make it seem like a very attractive thing that like all their freewheeling contractors really wanted to take advantage of. And it's like, no question, that was almost 100% spin, right? It, what it really was was yeah. like, let's dismantle labor from a lot of the protections that it's been afforded since essentially the Industrial Revolution. And, you know, like, isn't that cool and hip? Because now you can get stuff. Now you can order your, your burger and <laughs> yeah. pay us $30 for it. And yeah. we're going to pay that delivery person for exactly. or whatever. Yeah. But it was totally great cool. to hear like her perspective on that and like building a platform that really supports progress and empowering, I guess, employees with, the different tools that are available to them that they may not be aware that that are available to them that are going to lead to like actual career progression and potentially more job security in future too, right? So, yeah, and I think, I mean, there was a moment there too where I kind of like, I guess, revealed a bit of my own privilege and a lot of the biases that are inherent in this work market and that you talked about already, like we see it as kind of, this is a stopping point along the way for like high school students or whatever, right? And I was talking about my friend who we went to work for a restaurant at the same time. And then he kind of stayed in it. And in like for us other, he dropped out of school and then he just plateaued quite quickly. Right. And for us, it was like a moment to be like, well, look, like that was a foolish of you. Like you didn't see that, 
the right way to go, the right way, you can't see my air quotes, is like, go to school, get your education, get your expensive university, and then you get a job later on, right? Whereas in, in reality, and that was just kind of like accepted wisdom for a long time. But now I think with stuff like Landed is doing is saying like, no, 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 this is like a very useful and valid career path. It's just that it's never been treated as such or supported as such with the right of infrastructure, right? So yeah, yeah, it's good to see that they're focused and like very much on that. It's not just come here, put your resume, see you later. It's come here, grow as a person, become more employable, like solidify your future. But in this same industry, right, which is cool. Like you don't have to graduate out of it. Yeah, totally. And I just think that like we've been talking about this a lot, but just the idea that this next generation of founders, I'm feeling very like hopeful and optimistic about the thoughtfulness that I'm seeing out of a big group, a majority of the founders we're talking to more recently about like what kind of impact they'll have on the world and landed fits right in that Vivian fits right in that. And it's, it's exciting and cool to see. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think it's cool too, that, you know, Vivian came to this realization because she had firsthand experience with it to her family. Right. So while she went and followed that that path, which is like very much like the path that a lot of immigrant parents want for their children, which is like, go get a really fancy, expensive education and like succeed from there. She was like, oh, but also I saw what they had to do. And like they were very successful as a result, but kind of in spite of the infrastructure that was placed, not because of it. So I'll go back and kind of improve that situation. So it was cool that it came from a personal place. Also, it made me a little bit miss my career as a chef, my short-lived career as a chef, which I don't think I'm actually allowed to say because I was just a line cook. But I did like it. And well, who knows? Who knows if I had felt that was a valid thing to pursue? I maybe You were a dishwasher too, right? Jordan. Yeah, I was a dishwasher too. That that I don't think of. I really didn't enjoy that. I didn't feel like my skills were maximized there, but yes. <laughs> I felt good grilling. I was yeah. good. I enjoyed grilling and I did me not too. enjoy running the cash register. And I learned a lot about myself. Yeah, well, we'll open a Mostly restaurant. Mostly my fallibility, you know? Me and you, Jordan. We're going to order one. Okay. J- J- <laughs> JD's Fun Time Emporium. Grill. It's, yeah. Emporium. It's like a, wow, that's a little fancy. It's like the arcade style one. People come and have fun and play some games. Get some uh, za. Yeah. Some za, some wings, some nachos. <laughs> play a little billiards. Maybe we'll yeah. have a small bowling alley. I like it. Well... There That's you go. all from us this Team. week. <laughs> we did it again. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.